right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are again, back in the patron zone. And Dom, back to kick off a brand new season from 20 years ago. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm excited. Uh, good to be back in here with the season which technically I chose, but it was maybe the safest pick across all of the different franchises that I possibly could have chosen at this point. And it felt very much like a matter of time, uh, even though our focus back in the day more on the strategy and so on didn't really align with Pearl Islands. It still did because this season kind of has something for everyone, including people like us. But as we've grown to appreciate all these different aspects of the show more and more, and I think as a lot of the things that this season is truly unique for have faded away or vanished entirely from modern Survivor, I don't know yet. I haven't fully rewatched the season, still doing this week by week. I expect this season to have aged very well, and I know that the expectations on it are going to be very high i mean the season is so hyped up everywhere that uh, if it's anything low uh anything lower than a, a a grade uh top tier season i'm going to be disappointed but i have faith that this season is, is going to pour through and uh, i i imagine you do as well i definitely do uh a couple of things that you addressed there that were exactly what i was thinking to myself before we came uh on air here number one is Pearl Islands, in my mind, was not a question of if, but when. It, as soon as we started the patron feed and made going back and rewatching older seasons a more consistent thing, I was not sure when uh, Pearl Islands was going to happen, but it was certainly one that I would have been very disappointed if we had never somehow gotten around to revisiting. Uh, the other thing that you touched on that I wanted to actually get a bit more detail on from your perspective uh, for anyone who missed it i did leave this choice of season up to unilaterally dom to decide and i was expecting you to go as the edgelord of extinction perhaps a more obscure route than the like runaway number one chalk pick probably remaining on the board what ultimately made you decide on pearl islands just a combination of all of those things basically i mean it has it has everything uh i, I enjoyed cambodia i expected to enjoy it and i think i actually enjoyed it more than i expected so i was glad to uh get that one in the books and uh if you are still catching up on that uh we have released our finale recap and season review there and also uh, over on the main feed our interview with uh steven catching up with him and also uh, looking at how he sees the, the season now over eight years in the rearview mirror as we were very keen to remind him over and over and over again uh, but, but when it comes to Pearl Islands yeah we, we could have done this at any point and I, I would have refused to wrap this up had we not done it so that, that might have been a nice like carrot to dangle just to, to keep this uh, <laughs> show on the road in case we needed it but um, yeah it's the season which alongside uh, the Amazon I think provided a glimpse of what the show could be in the future and also set an example for seasons on either side of it for how to do certain things right and it didn't immediately usher in some new era of the show or anything like that but i think if you want to chart that transition from the early days of survivor you know those classic seasons these start uh, still are in that that first era and i think the usual cutoff is anything before all stars versus anything uh, after all stars but uh Leading into All-Stars, I think these clearly set up what's going to come later, even if it takes a few years for those seeds to, to fully germinate and to, uh, to to see the show change. And then whatever you like about the show, whether it's the locations, the camp life, the strategy, uh, the characters, the challenges, I think this season just kind of delivers across the board on that. Uh, and so I, I expect it to maybe fall flat in some of those areas, but then uh, shoot up in my expectations on others. So I think the fact that it is a good season. We all agree on that. Everyone else loves it too. And I expect to love it again, but I don't know how much because it's been God knows how long at this point. But probably, actually, it probably was before Stephen was on Cambodia that I last watched their season. Uh, so it's been a long, long time. Uh, and so I'm keen to just revisit it for myself, see what I've forgotten, and then uh, try to update my views uh, on the season for this uh, modern age as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're totally right that this is a season that really demonstrates how good the show can be, I would say, from a ton of different angles. And one 
that not only in the short term, but I would say even 20 years later continues to have left a very lasting impression on pretty much any fan of Survivor. Uh, and I was actually thinking, and I've had this thought about plenty of the other seasons that we've done over the years for, you know, Heroes versus Villains, Cambodia recently, like China, uh, Kageon, when we went back and redid that. Pearl Islands is weirdly, because it's so good, kind of in a spot where it's almost like reverse free rolling for me entering this rewatch because it's already held in such high regard in my mind and it's been a little while since I've seen it there's really nowhere for it to go but down because it's already so high up there but I, I'll be very surprised I'll say this up front if it does fall at all for, and I, I'll, I'll be floored if it falls too far for me I've rewatched Pearl Islands many times over the years immensely enjoyed it every time and Dom I honestly wonder if this might be the statement I'm about to, about to make may directly contradict the popularity poll that Rob did on RHAP uh, during the break because of COVID, uh, like between seasons 40 and 41. I don't I, the Pearl Island surely was in the top three or so, if not two or one. I don't uh, remember the exact order there, but Pearl Islands, I feel like might be the number one season in terms of. I, I really don't think I have encountered any kind of survivor edgelords or like hipsters over the years that are inclined to detract virtually anything from Pearl Islands. This is the, the way that there are certainly plenty of people who think Cambodia, for instance, is way overrated or millennials versus Gen X or take your pick. I feel like virtually every season has at least some fringe percentage of the like super fan base saying, actually that one's not really as good as people make it out to be. I truly don't feel like I have at least to a memorable extent seen anyone ever uh, try to make that case about Pearl Islands. The strongest contrarian take you might ever have heard about it is surprise from me. And I believe all, all that I said back when the season was more vivid in my memory was only that I didn't quite have it in my top tier, you know, my top five or whatever it was back then. Not even that I thought it was a bad season or that I disliked it or had some especially strong take other than the usual uh, Sandra back and forth debates, which I, I promise you all we will not dwell on uh, too much over the course of this rewatch. But I think you're right to say this might be the most universally adored season in the sense of, yeah, any anything else which usually shares that top tier on these rankings with it, you'll find people who hate that season, don't get what all the fuss is about. You never hear that about this. And even like its neighbor in Amazon has a little bit of that too. But I know there are people who don't like some of the uh, the gender dynamics of that season, uh, some of the uh, earlier 2000s uh, stuff shining through there, or there's stuff which you can nitpick with it. Um but with, with Pearl Island, even the people who, like us, maybe are not fully in on the on Sandra as the greatest player of all time, a lot of them, I know, including myself and yourself, still love her as a character. So there's a lot to love there. And she certainly delivers on that front this season. Um, but then also, it's not like uh, you have this camp of hardcore Lil Partisan thinking that she should have won instead and she was robbed and her losing taints the entire season. Uh, it felt very much, on top of fair play, like, even though Fairplay ugly played this amazing game in a lot of respects, him losing the way he did is the perfect karmic justice for the season uh, as well. It just, the the ending of it, almost regardless of where you come down, is great. And then if you are uh, a Sandra lover on that front too, I mean, perfect, right? Um, so I think the season at the time was received very well. That never changed over the years. And then, of course, once Sandra wins again, becomes the show's only two-time winner uh, for a long, long time, almost a decade, then that casts this season in something of a new light, even though believing that Sandra was this great winner. I don't think that was a popular view at the time, and it, you don't need to believe it in retrospect to like the season anymore. It's just, oh, wow, this, this thing which never really occurred to me at the time. Well, now there's a whole new angle to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Sandra, by the way, we have certainly said some things over the years about uh, her approach to the game kind of in general, but in this premiere, at the very least, Sandra is easily one of the MVPs from uh, an episode perspective, and not only from like the TV episode perspective, 
but from within the game itself, as I'm sure we'll get on to very shortly. Uh, she is bringing a lot to the table early here in this season. Uh, Dom, I think the place to start, as far as I'm concerned, is the theme itself. And I know we spent probably at least a decade doing these podcasts routinely talking about how like the themes are irrelevant. I wish they would get rid of them. I wish they would get rid of the season subtitles. And in recent years, they've been doing uh, their best. It seems to really test us on that theory and how badly we really wanted that sort of thing. Uh, This I would say is a glaring exception to my general kind of apathy towards the idea of like survivor needing themes or whatever. I think this pirate theme is one of the best executions they have ever done uh, on really making a season kind of uh, forge its own identity here. And more generally, before we get into the, the pirate specific stuff, I, upon further review, I really think that sort of thing worked very well for the vast majority of these early seasons. And I am eager to acknowledge it's super unfair to compare the early seasons of Survivor when it was this water cooler show for a huge percentage of the country. And, you know, back when TV was like a a big deal in America before all the, the streaming and so forth took over, I all of, I would say, Australia, Africa, Thailand, Amazon, and Pearl Islands did a very good job carving out their own kind of unique identities within uh, the course of the show to that point. But I really think Pearl Islands stands out even from among that historically strong kind of pack there as far as theming goes, where this pirate theme is super present right off the bat and continues all season long. We get cannons and swords. We're pillaging the enemy camps. We have buried treasure. We're going to later have people walking the plank. We got revenge of the outcasts. We have the Drake and Morgan tribe names and a fantastic kind of like pirate spin on the general survivor score, uh, like musically that I think works really, really well. This is fantastic stuff. They, absolutely nail it as far as i'm concerned at least in this premiere and i was actually thinking to myself because i did i was able to place you know this season was in 2003 and pirates of the caribbean was also in 2003 and i have spent a long time thinking they were probably just kind of like piggybacking off of the success of pirates of the caribbean and that may have been what inspired them to go this route i actually looked it up uh turns out dom This show, this season, uh, actually began airing weirdly, or excuse me, began filming weirdly on my birthday uh, is when it started in 2003, June 23rd. My 16th birthday uh, was when they (laughs) started filming day one here. And Pirates of the Caribbean, the movie, was not released until June 28th, 2003. So maybe they knew uh, because Pirates of the Caribbean was a, a paramount affiliated sort of thing maybe they had some sense uh that that sort of thing may help them if they went this route but uh i I was certainly wrong in thinking that they were just trying to steal valor essentially or or dishonor uh to to put it in pirate terms from this mega successful franchise Uh, and sidebar dom i remember going to see pirates of the caribbean in theaters in 2003 and having like very low expectations and being like totally blown away it is bananas to me that all of this was two decades ago now at this point you know we're recording this in september 2023 it's been over 20 years since all of this has gone down and that is not a fact that is sitting well with me right now yeah, this is comic justice for you, making Stephen feel so old, and myself as well. I'm yeah. sure I have uh, some amount of this uh, about to be served up to me too. But uh, we we're giving as well as we're we're getting here, or other way around. Heard it both ways. But you're right that the the pirate theme they knock it out of the park this season. It is so good, and the fact that they lean into it so much is what makes it so good. And I my memory is they never take it too far to the point where you're. You're rolling your eyes and thinking, yeah, okay, that, that's a little uh, hammed up. But it's it's held by a few things. Firstly, you have Rupert. And Rupert, say what you will about him, whatever theme you give him, he will take it and he will run with 
there. Like, if you put him on a Heroes versus Venom season, he will articulate that dichotomy better than anyone you could hope for, while also making an incredibly uh, self-serving or maybe unself-aware case for why he, of course, is the ultimate hero. Um, you put him on a pirate theme season, he's going to be a pirate, because as he reminds us in, what at this point was this fresh uh, Rupert Raw, you know, pirates pillage, pirates steal, and so on and so forth. You get the gist. And it's great. It really brings it to life. And having the, the star of the season, I think it's fair to say, be so intertwined with your theme. I mean, I mean perfect. Can't, can't draw it up any better. The other thing as well, it, it's worth noting, sometimes where we, we praise the season and the location um, for really bringing the season to life in a unique way, those two things are tied together, the location and the theme. So, And sometimes it's just the location, right? So we've done Gabon on here, we've done China, and those didn't really have a theme in that sense other than we're in this amazing location, let's make the most of it, which they, they certainly did. Here, the location itself is actually fairly nondescript, I think. So these are the Pearl Islands in Panama. They've done a lot of seasons in Panama over the years, including, of course, Survivor Panama, uh, brackets Exile Island, uh, to come before too long here. But they've had a lot of seasons in that general area. And eh, maybe if you're paying uh, close attention, you could tell the, the camp life scenes apart just based on that. But the location itself is, I would say, not especially distinctive, but the fact that they tied into the pirate theme with all of the iconography and the uh, that they they kind of construct the theme around the location and the season in a way that you I think you have to put more effort into than oh wow we're in China so that just writes itself um, so it, it takes more work on their part but I think they actually they put the work in and they they get the uh, desired results. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm sure we'll continue touching on the pirate theme and how well it works along the way, because as you touched on already, uh, they are going to hammer this pretty consistently, like basically every single episode. Uh, and I think they knock it out of the park. So excited to uh, continue to be able to heap praise on that decision. Uh, Dom, quickly before we dive into this marooning, uh, I did stumble upon one fun fact here after seeing that filming uh, began on my birthday i then took the now always dreaded plunge over to the contestant list and like what age they were when they were doing stuff so i was 16 as this was filming everyone in this cast was like significantly older than me at the time i now have uh the list of ages in front of me the people in this cast who are older than me, like my current age, is as follows. Lil, Trish, Savage, Rupert, end of list, uh, which is not a fun <laughs> barrel to be staring down. However, did find one little twist in there that makes it a, a little more, or, I mean, I guess the better way of putting it is a little less worrisome for me. And that, Dom, is that the list of people older than you is those exact same four people. You are now uh, Wait, entering the same territory. <laughs> See, I, it, it comes to all of us in the end. You know, I, I, I'm no <laughs> exception to that either. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, the, the one that really stands out to me there actually is Sandra, right? Who has always seemed weirdly ageless, in a sense, if, if you know what I mean, where if, if you showed people Sandra this season and Sandra in Heroes vs. Villains as well, kind of hard to... Uh, gauge her age at a glance not that not that people should be trying of course but if they were um then I, I think she's harder to place than a lot of other people out there and she even though and this this aspect i think is actually key to the way sandra is understood out there even though both seasons like she's a mother and you know she has a lot of life experience she's not seen as oh she's the mom right she's not the the older woman uh, to use the survivor of panama phrase but she's also not young enough like it, you look at the actual young women on the season like the nicole's and michelle's and we're going to lose most of them pretty quick Sandra's going to be the last one standing and even though she is uh, still in her 20s <laughs> oh dear god in pearl islands she has this kind of uh ruthlessness or this kind of savviness which yeah people who are a bit younger will not have to see yet and so she actually here is in that prime age bracket that we always talk about of late 20s early 30s for winning Survivor, and then she's going to come back in her mid-30s, where she definitely seems older and wiser, but still age-wise is hard to place, and, and of course, just do it all over again. Yeah, uh, I think Sandra... I'm, I'm, I'm always simultaneously 
somewhat jealous of these sorts of people, but also at the same time, like for myself, not wishing I was one of them. But I am on like one hand envious of the people who I think like Sandra recognize much younger than I ever did who they are, what they want out of life uh, and just pursue it. And it seems like Sandra had all of that figured out in like her mid twenties at the latest uh, and has just been hammering that from then until present day. Uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And it seems to me like Sandra okay, was. Hold yet on. To... I... Colin, follow up question. Who are you and what do you want out of life? <laughs> I, trust me, Dom. I wish I had the answer to that. Uh, but I, I, no, I, 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 I know why you might be reticent to talk about that on the Mayfeed, but I feel like our, our paying customers here, our beloved patrons, have, we, we have that bond and we have that trust developed now. You, you can unload on them. They're, they're, they're ready for it. So maybe in uh, a future episode, we can dive into that sort of thing. I, I think traditionally <laughs> we do release the premiere podcast a few weeks later oh. on the main feed. Uh, so it, it, there's already enough to get to in today's episode. Uh, I don't think we well, have nearly that... enough time to... <laughs> That's actually the perfect advertisement. If you want to hear Colin bear his soul, then for the, the measly sum of $5 a month, you can get exactly that. Results not guaranteed uh, along those lines. But I, I think Sandra just was very confident in who she was and was also at an age where she was going to be able to relate to pretty much everyone in the cast. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into how all of this kicks off here, Dom. And that is with a twist I honestly wish they had tried more than once, because I think it's a pretty cool one, at least to my knowledge, this is the only time it's ever been done, where they tell everyone in the cast, hey, we're not going to start for a few more days, but we need you all to come out in like your dress clothes or whatever you want to have your press photos taken in, uh, because we're going to go bang those out before the next little while until the actual game begins. But then surprise, uh, they all think they're just taking this boat from point A to point B, and in reality, Jeff Probst is up top doing his narration for the camera about how they're all about to be shocked by the game actually beginning right now. Uh, they just are going to have the clothes on their backs, they're going to get split into their tribes, and that's going to be it. There are going to be no supplies uh, at camp, although they are going to have a another cool, unique opportunity at their disposal that I'm sure we're going to get into shortly uh, to, to perhaps mitigate some of the downside of not having any camp supplies given to them by the producers. But I love this, Dom, the idea that the game could start at any time. Very Barkley Marathons-esque, right? Jeff mm. Probst just blows the conch and you have an hour to get ready. And once you see this... Uh... Everyone will be on edge permanently for every actual press junket that you hold for the rest of the pregame for the rest of time. It's a perfect way to, to sow that paranoia from the outset. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff is going to split them into their two teams here. And I additionally not only love like the surprise kind of shipwrecking, I further, while granting that this is probably not doable in most of the locations they've used, I love this opening couple hours idea of before you even go to your beaches you are going to go into this local town and you are going to use what little money we give you on top of whatever on your person you are willing to part with to barter with the locals in their marketplace and that is going to be how you end up getting your supplies for the entire 39 days of this season uh, and jeff says if you're smart and you have a plan, you can get everything you need for the next 39 days. And, quote, uh, the Morgan team is not going to do such a great job of that. The Drake team, however, is going to do a good job of that. And I think that largely comes down to Sandra, our consensus MVP here on this podcast uh, for the last 12-ish years, however long we've been doing this. And uh, Sandra is a native Spanish speaker. She is also, as it turns out, uh, we would like notoriously uh, one of the thriftiest spenders I have ever heard about in my entire life. Like Sandra, even after winning $2 million still seems to get uh, a huge amount of joy in like couponing uh, and so yes. forth. And so this is going to be a magical combination for the Drake tribe here. 
yeah, how much of it is Sandra just having the superpower of speaking Spanish versus Sandra being a natural hustler? You know, if we had a heroes versus healers versus hustler season, Sandra would be squarely on the hustlers tribe. A little bit of both, I think. But yeah, she is uh, certainly making a big uh, and good first impression. Like even even fair play uh, out of character here in, in praising uh, Sandra. That's going to change before long, but we'll, we'll let them have their moment here for now. I'm going to indulge in hyperbole here for, for a change. This is the best opening sequence in the history of Survive. And I don't think anything else is really on its level. There are maybe some unfair comparisons you could throw in, like the the theatrics of the heroes versus villains opening montage and so on. Like There's a lot of good stuff like that. But just in terms of, okay, this is the marooning and now you're being uh, thrust out there into the unknown. This embodies that, I think, more than any actual... Marooning, even the first marooning, even some of the more uh, radical maroonings that they've had, because for as much as Survivor itself being on the beach playing this this strange psychologically cutthroat game, that itself is a whole uh, weird experience. That I think you few things strip someone to their core and really give you a sense of who they are. Like you are now in the middle of somewhere you've never been before with people you don't know, uh, where you don't speak the language and they probably don't speak yours unless you're Sandra and you now have to just go out there and hustle and also make a good first impression and get everything done. Like that, that's, that's part of honestly what made the apprentice so fun to watch uh, at its best. And uh, grafting some amount of that onto survivor is the perfect innovation, which I don't know if you could do something like this every season, but if they found a way to do it, I would be all here for it because that to me gives you a flavor of who people are and how they react even more so than just, oh, we're all on the beach making conversation, uh, you know, who's going to go build the shelter or stuff like that. Totally. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So Sandra, right off the bat, just crushing it here. And another person, I would say, making a very big first impression, at the very least on a young Colin Stone. And it seemed like uh, a pretty big impression on the audience at large if the next couple uh, years, maybe even a decade, uh, potentially expanding beyond that, are to be believed is Rupert, who uh, I, I think Dom clearly fits in so well with the pirate theme. And as you already touched on, is very eager to lean into that sort of thing. But when they do swim to shore with their rafts full of shoes uh, and he steals the shoes from the Morgan tribe that the Morgan people kind of foolishly just left unguarded right next to him and gives that confessional about, I did it for the Drake and, you know, fair place. Like, how'd you even get those? He's like, pirate. Uh, Rupert clearly jumping off the page straight away here as well. And strangely to me, Dom, uh, right after he takes the shoes, he gives a confessional where he says, I always said that I would lie, cheat and steal to win this game. End quote. I had completely forgotten about that ever being like an element of Rupert's personality. To be honest, it reminds me a lot of watching back week one of Big Brother 10, where Dan Giesling is a completely different person. He is he is clearly, in my view, like trying to be diabolical and doing like a Dr. Will impression. And then he sees that blow up in Brian's face and realizes he has to massively change gears from that point forward. But he, like he's wearing all black. He's got his hair slick back all the time. It is a completely different Dan Giesling. And much like this, uh, it is like so antithetical i would say to what in my mind rupert was proudly trying to bring to the show in every not only every subsequent subsequent season but maybe there will be other instances uh of this sort of thing coming up for rupert over the course of pearl islands but in my mind uh, he very much was trying to lean into like the nobility aspect of the uh of you know basically like honor loyalty and integrity before that was really a, a catchphrase on this season as well so that was strange to see out of rupert another thing dom by the way that was strange to see during this uh kind of bartering process in the local village i could not believe my eyes when i was re-watching this episode and it made air on CBS in prime time in the year 2003, as they're like 
doing some kind of like establishing shots of what's going on in town. They spend a solid five Mississippi just showing a bunch of people standing around what is clearly a cockfighting ring. And they show the chickens like fighting with each other. I could not <laughs> believe my eyes when I saw that this actually made it onto TV. And I will tell you now, Dom, this was not even the most shocking thing to me of this episode. And I'm not even sure when I'm going to remember to bring this back up again. So I'll just dive into it right now. When the Drake team gets back, and I think it's like literally night one, after they've made their shelter and they got some bottle of booze in the town. They're all drinking a bunch of them. It seems like are a very they're borderline drunk and that may be even generous. Uh, they, they might be straight up plastered here. Johnny Fairplay says to, I think it's like Michelle or Krista or something uh, as they're all like drunk and having a good time together. He says to uh, maybe it's both of them. Cause I have the quote written down as man, if you guys were 17, we'd be so naked right now, end quote. And I was very much hoping that he just, like, misspoke and meant, hey, if we were all 17, like, if we were back in our, like, weird childhood, basically, like, just getting into drinking era, we would all be naked right now. He does not mean that. Uh, the next words out of his mouth are, man, where are all the teenage girls? End quote. Uh, not not something I was expecting to see on primetime television. But if you are going to see it, not actually that surprising. It's coming out of the mouth of Johnny Fairplay, who honestly, I could see him just sincerely meaning that, speaking from experience, or just saying that because of the shock value involved and he thinks that's going to make him look cool. Not going to reflect well on him either way, uh, but honestly, no I, the, the, no story would have checked out more in either direction uh, coming out of him. So, Oh, I mean, if, if you told uh, me someone that element, said that on... Sorry, yeah, if you if you told me someone was going to say that on yeah. Survivor, I think Johnny Fairboy, the <laughs> runaway number one pick there. Yeah, if you were going to do better know a Survivor quote and then just threw that one at me, uh, it, it's fair play. Uh, no, no, no confusion <laughs> about that. Not going to say, uh, you know, Ryan Shoulders is out there uh, incriminating himself. But uh, going back to the Rupert all of it all for a second here. I think part of that is just him playing the role. Like I said, like here he's a pirate because he's been told to be a pirate and next time he's a hero. And so he's going to have this whole morality complex around being a hero. Uh, and I don't think heroes versus villains Rupert would ever even consider doing something like this. And if uh, some nasty little gremlin like Russell Hans were to be doing this, well, that's just typical villain behavior. You know, uh, it sh shows you just how uh, despicable they really are. But I think also the the fame after this season really went to Rupert's head. And I don't know if we will ever get around to Survivor All-Stars. I will be keen to see what Rupert is like in that edition, just coming hot off the heels of Pearl Islands, where he is the superstar of the franchise already. And he's going to get handed a million dollars, almost overshadowing the Romba proposal at that reunion. But I, I think certainly by Heroes versus Villains, after uh, that point, uh, after that million dollar giveaway, like he knows he is the most popular person in the history of the franchise and he lets that go to his head. And so part of that, I'm a hero, I'm an example to all the struggling kids of the world, that is part of his self-image at that point. And so, yeah, I, I think he is much more TV conscious and also self-conscious in this annoying way uh, later on. Whereas here, I don't know how much Rupert was ever fully sincere, but certainly at this stage, it feels like this is the Rupert you're going to get and the Rupert that is closest to who he is or was in real life. Absolutely. And I think one other Rupert note uh, after he steals the shoes is he takes the shoes. I kid you not. He goes and trades multiple pairs of what appear to me to be like fancy, expensive dress shoes for literally one pineapple in the market <laughs> and the woman he's exchanging it with like looks out of kind of confused but obviously just lets him take the pineapple there uh dom i'm guessing i have asked you some variation on this question over the years but i have no memory uh of what the answer was so i'll be re-asking you right now i know that you found out about survivor over in merry old england in 2010, because the whole, like, heroes versus villains final vote kind of controversy, like, should Russell have won, should Parvey have won, should Sander have won, somehow, 
became so contentious that it made its way onto some message board you were reading and you checked out Survivor. And I think you started with heroes versus villains. And the the question I'm trying to arrive at here is, what was your impression of Rupert when you first saw him, given that you were diving in to a Rupert who knew he was immensely popular? I thought the guy was kind of a dumbass and, oh, they, he's been picked for the Heroes try because I, I get the appeal, right? Like he has this very clear black and white morality where, of course, conveniently, he's the hero and uh, anyone who doesn't match his exact and exacting standards is the villain. And presumably, I, I didn't know this yet, of course, but on whatever his prior seasons were, um, maybe he had some heroic arc or uh, maybe they kind of inflated his reputation there as well. So I didn't know the full story. I, knew, I clearly knew there was going to be a big story around this guy just with uh, how big his reputation was, um, but not not the full extent of it. So going back and actually seeing this much more complicated Rupert was that was a real treat when I was uh, uh, catching up. And honestly, this is, I think, the most sympathetic version of Rupert. Um, and I think... The, the question of where did Rupert play his best game is kind of an interesting one, but there are points in this season where it almost seems like Rupert is on track to be like the most dominant player that we've seen maybe ever. Like there, there's a point, uh, not quite sure exactly when, but where he seems to have a firm hold over everything going on on Drake and also is double dipping with the Morgans at the same time and uh, just has this this eye on everything. And that all falls apart pretty quick. And the, the Rupert blind side is this, amazing pivotal moment uh, in the season and i think in just survivor law at that stage and that episode is is one of the all-time greats but um and of course the next one after that is also pretty phenomenal too not to sell that one short but um yeah like rupert i don't know where, where this is going even i think there's a lot to say about rupert on the season the way that i don't know if there really is in the later ones um whereas here like he yeah he's the main character and fair play he well, fair play to him. He should be the main character. Like, there's a lot going on with him. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, I, I, I honestly don't know that this thought had, like, ever crossed my mind before. I think you're right that Rupert was in a good position at a certain point to, at the very least, make it far, uh, like, all the way to the end, potentially, on this season. But I'm not sure, necessarily, how much uh, love he would have gotten from the Pearl Islands jury under uh, a lot of kind of timelines there. However, Rupert in all stars in the world where he like runs the table in immunity challenges. I think he does beat any of certainly Rob or Amber and probably Jenna Lewis uh, in the finals there. And yes. furthermore on, I mean, one of the lowest endgame bars we've ever seen, but I agree, he does. And that's it's kind of weird to think that Rupert could have... I mean, if he wins Survivor All-Stars, does he also get an additional million dollars? Or is that just a fallback, just in case uh, he, he somehow falls short in the game itself? I, I am guessing that the America's Tribal Council only happened because they knew Rupert was not about to get the million dollars for winning Survivor All-Stars, but they did want to give the audience a hit of Rupert being a survivor millionaire, but on top of not only, I think a conceivable path to winning survivor all-stars, if he runs the table in immunities at the end of heroes versus villains, I think he beats any combination uh, of villains in that finals there. I, I think all of the heroes would probably be pretty inclined to vote for Rupert over any of uh, Russell, Parv, Sandra, and Jerry there. So he has come deceptively close, in my view, to, to winning the game uh, on a couple of different occasions, despite I, I don't think either of us is going to try to sit here and tell you that Rupert is actually some fantastic survivor player. Uh, but I, that, that had never even really crossed my mind how close we've, we've gotten a couple of different times to Rupert potentially even closing one of these seasons out, albeit almost entirely accidentally there uh all right dom so the this is the thing about the pearl islands premiere is this is a first of all this is a 90 minute episode this is the perfect use in my mind of how to split a 90 minute episode where we are 
conservatively 40 somewhere between like 40 and 45 minutes of commercial free airtime into this episode before we even get to the immunity challenge i did uh, i i know i i beat this horse all the time and i'm really trying to scale back uh but it stood out to me as it often does that we get what i would consider a pretty epic kind of immunity challenge that uh we'll get to total runtime five minutes uh we have a, an interesting build up to tribal council and an interesting tribal council itself the tribal council takes six minutes we are literally spending 11 out of 11 total out of the 90 minutes on the challenge and the tribal council uh, i am nervous <laughs> about the upcoming 90 minute episodes we're about to get for survivor 45 and potentially beyond uh, about that ratio not necessarily being where i would love for it to be but I, I will save most of the griping for another time but they really put in fantastic work with how they distribute the 90 minutes here not only because the marooning itself goes a long way in getting this season off to a good start but there are many very fun kind of camp life scenes and character development scenes from the early days people bonding people feeling kind of isolated uh that i i feel like under different circumstances we would be spending more time on uh just because they 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 feel for the most part like things we barely even get these days uh but there are to, to just quickly roll through some of it we right off the bat have like sean and burton are bonding together over at the drake tribe but they're also tilting a bunch of people like out of their minds because they're cocky uh and not doing as much as people think they should be doing uh we have a fun scene where johnny fairplay thinks he's cracking everyone up and sandra doesn't think <laughs> sandra is not such a fan of johnny fairplay uh they do a good job laying the groundwork for all that we have rupert cementing himself as non-ironically in my mind like one of the most valuable providers in the history of survivor with his spearfishing acumen uh we have lil and ryan over on the morgan beach feeling like they're the odd ones out and no one wants to work with them we have savage like becoming the at least de facto if not explicit leader of the morgan tribe they they editors really outdid themselves here with this pearl islands premiere absolutely and it, it's so snappy and seamless that you're you're not conscious of the pacing in the moment you can just lose yourself in the flow of the episode but looking back is yeah it, it never really drags to the point where it makes you think about it it's just we get a good sense of what's going on in both camps before and after the challenge challenge itself is very compelling we get the great uh morgan behind uh visual mm -hmm. which uh Probably for the best that uh, some of that is blurred out, I, I will say. But um, there's, yeah, there's a lot going on, but they space it out really well and you get uh, a good feel of all of it. And the actual result itself is, I guess, a little anticlimactic, but uh, what can you really expect from a first boot? And the actual lead into that is kind of fascinating too, because we see Lil kind of gaming Andrew Savage almost. Like she, she has an outcome that she wants and she's not making up some incredibly inventive lie. She's just ratting someone out for what they told her. But um, in terms of ensuring her own survival, knowing that she is vulnerable and uh, telling the right thing to the right person to buy a few more days, Lil actually like, maybe gets the fishy uh, for episode one here. I, I mean, I don't think that's a crazy take. Uh, quickly, though, before we dive into Morgan and this first tribal council, I did want to uh, touch on this opening immunity challenge that I liked a lot, uh, even beyond the Morgan behind element of it all. And incidentally, imagine if this were Australian survivor and they did just roll with all of that unblurred. I feel like Twitter would break, excuse me, X, uh, everyone calls it that would break. Uh, but Dom, this immunity where they get uh, a cannon that is kind of easily able to be disassembled and reassembled uh it's on wheels and they have to navigate it through the jungle and go through a bunch of obstacles and then it ends with a big kind of like cannon pushing sprint through the sand 
fantastic opening immunity challenge, uh, not only because it does a very good job, in my view, of tying the theme in once again to uh, everything piratey that's going on. Uh, the visual element of the challenge is awesome, where we start out with this kind of jungle backdrop and then make our way slowly over to the beach. Uh, it's interesting and somewhat weird that Jeff Probst is not yet doing his like constant challenge narration, and it's mostly just underscored by like a very piratey version of survivor music that uh, I, I think plays very well. I did, to be honest, I did kind of miss Jeff's narration. I don't need it to be as ham fisted. Uh, if I'm using that term correctly, as it often feels like it is in modern times. Uh, but th th there is a very noticeable difference between the general kind of like vibe of this challenge being almost entirely like instrumental uh, versus like, modern era sort of stuff uh and then on top of all of that not only is the challenge itself cool the ending is one of the most dramatic i feel like we'll ever see for an opening challenge on any season of survivor where as they're doing that kind of sprint through the sand drake starts out looking like they're about to kind of waltz to victory but one of their cannon wheels gets stuck uh in the sand and morgan like dramatically blows past them and it looks like morgan is about to waltz their way to victory but then one of their wheels gets stuck in the sand and the drake team wins by like one foot uh in the way this ultimately plays out everyone is totally gassed i think this is a perfect opening challenge for this episode dom uh so yeah let's get into how all of this goes because i do agree with you that by the time we get to tribal council it seems like it's probably going to be Nicole, although I think a lot of that could at least potentially come down to me already knowing it was going to be Nicole, obviously, because I've seen this season many times. And if I were just watching this unspoiled in the moment, I could easily see myself talking myself into the idea that clearly Ryan and Lil are the ones on the outs and all of the things that are going on with Nicole is just to try to add some sort of suspense to what would otherwise be a pretty straightforward vote here. Uh, but we do get a very interesting kind of buildup to this tribal council where it seems like if everyone didn't go out of their way to like mess things up, it probably would have been a, a pretty straightforward Ryan or Lil boot here. But as the, you know, the big group, it seems like doesn't take that long to come together and say, OK, obviously it's going to be one of those two. And it really seems like it's only because Nicole is the one person, at least if the TV episode is to be believed, who was willing to, like, play along with Lil and has a conversation with her where she at some point throws Tawana's name now name out as a person she could potentially be inclined to vote for that night. Uh, that that is like ultimately Nicole's kind of like unforced error undoing where when Lil then relays that information back to Savage and Rhino, who then in turn relay that information back to Tawana, that ultimately seems like what puts Nicole kind of in the hot seat. And, and maybe it, like I'm always so nervous that I'm just being like a complete sucker for what they're showing me on TV. And maybe everyone knew from day one that nicole was going to be like a semhar type obvious first boot as soon as they got the chance but i am inclined to believe that nicole largely brought this on herself in a pretty chaotic uh and unexpected way even to those like on the beach in the hours leading up to tribal council which i always am a fan of in any kind of season premiere to have it not be the kind of okay we're going to vote out one of the people we all basically knew was going to be an early casualty straight away yeah i am on jeff watch for what is a relatively early season in the grand scheme of things and jeff seems like he really is still enjoying the role not jaded at all uh those those dimples are in uh just full blast uh really uh a feature of the landscape there um but he does have one of these uh these traits which is a a through line for jeff across the years i think which is sometimes he just says some kind of weird stuff like when uh they're all on the boat at the beginning and this is i guess the one thought i have on nicole as well and he's saying you know the, the girl in the t in 
the the dress and oh is there anything keeping that up or whatever and all oh, the boys are gonna like that it's like okay hold on jeff you're ambushing this and all of them if that if this is actually a real concern like let's maybe give nicole some more uh like literal material to work with here <laughs> uh except just uh, other than just making her feel uncomfortable right off the bat yeah, I really think it was Johnny Fairplay's comments uh, about the teenage girls taking some heat off of Jeff for some of the things he was saying. Incidentally, uh, Austin, when they were out during the bartering, he gave away like all of his clothes and then recommended to the women that perhaps maybe they should think about flaunting their bodies to try to get some of these old men in the town to just give them some stuff for free. There, There's a lot of stuff uh, in this that has not aged well, but I think there's, frankly, well, a lot I, of... As a, I, I, go on, finish this. I, I was going to say, I, I think you'd probably be pretty hard-pressed to find any season of Survivor or certainly Big Brother from, like, pre-2000 and, I don't know, 11 or 12 that does not have a lot of things that have aged very poorly by modern standards. Also, as it turns out, it's the Morgan men who are flaunting it all for the benefit of America. So uh, uh, justice came around in the end. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, Dom, Nicole is going to start the game off on the boat being told uh, by Jeff Probst that, hey, maybe it's uh, (laughs) not the worst thing in the world that you forgot to wear a bra. Uh, And then she's going to get her buff and walk over to the wrong team side of the boat. It does not seem like things are going to get too much better from uh, Nicole's perspective uh, anywhere along the way here. And she is ultimately going to be our first boot by a unanimous vote. Uh, The good news for her is she is, of course, going to go on to live happily ever after with Rob Sesternino. And that is the real prize here. Uh, But I did think it was kind of like adding insult to injury that not only is Nicole the first boot on this season, I believe it is the case that on the next season in survivor all-stars, when they do the trivia challenge somewhere along the way, one of the only questions that anyone gets wrong. And I think it may even have been the tiebreaker is one of the teams completely forgot Nicole's name when they had to list through all of the first boots from all of the seasons and that is like the deciding thing uh that costs what would it be the saboga tribe uh maybe it was uh, you know what it might have been post swap so i'm not even comfortable saying which tribe it was that ended up getting uh screwed over by not remembering nicole but like her lasting survivor legacy is not only is she the first boot she's also the most forgettable first boot of these uh opening seasons here uh but i would say nicole all things considered, did end up adding quite a bit to this premiere, albeit probably not in the way that she would have hoped. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, every season is going to have a first boot, and she was a good first boot, even though that, that no one uh, wants to end up there. While we're here, let's take stock of these two tribes as a whole, then, and give our first re-impressions of those, because one thing that struck me when they were all together on the boat, getting ready for the initial uh, marooning, not that they knew it necessarily at the time, was this felt like a quite white-collar cast in the sense of, I know one of the criticisms of 44 was it felt like a lot of the, the pre-motors were basically the same person, just in terms of casting archetype and demographics and just uh, place in life, uh, attitude towards Survivor, although that's a much larger issue uh, at this point. But then looking at the the back row of you have Sean and his Armani suit, which he doesn't know what to do with. And then uh, a a younger uh, Andrew Savage, of course, in his prime. And then Burton, who is uh, your marketing executive as well. You have Trish, who is a, a sales executive of, of some kind, I think. And then a lot of people in that general oeuvre of like uh, arrogant guy in a suit like that. That is a solid uh, quarter of the entire Pearl Islands cast in a way that kind of uh, shapes everything else, I think. I don't disagree, although I would say that is probably more noticeable because they are all wearing like their fancy clothes, thinking they're about to take some sort of press photos. But I don't think you're wrong about the larger point. But I I guess what I'm saying is there may be other seasons that would have that same vibe if the wardrobe were the same on day one. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. And speaking of wardrobe, you have Rupert there in what's going to become his his trademark tie-dye. You have Lil in the uh, the Scout Master. And his trademark skirt, which, by the way. Even back in 2003. What was that? Sorry, and his trademark skirt. Oh, well, well, naturally, yeah, the, got the uh, the full wardrobe there. And Lil in the, the Scoutmaster uniform, which even back in 2003, 20 years ago, felt like very anachronistic, felt like a nod to, I guess it literally was a different century or whatever, but it's certainly a different time uh, in America. And now looking back on that uh, in, you know, in its uh, standard definition uh, majesty, it, it stands out even more in a way. It's like, oh, yeah, wow, okay, right? you, you kind of know who this person is from the outside, even before she's having quite a prominent first episode and being on the outs and getting on people's nerves. Like you, you can kind of see all of that coming just from the outset here uh, with the visual. Oh yeah. I think Lil was a big standout in the premiere. I would say Savage was another big standout in the premiere. And I think Fair Play certainly got uh, his share of FaceTime as well. And more generally just on the tribes overall, I don't know uh, what went into splitting them the way that they did, but I honestly feel like we got a fantastic kind of tribe division here where it feels like to me the Drake tribe has a lot of big personalities and kind of uh, people perhaps inclined to speak their they're like more inclined to speak their mind than the average uh, survivor player, certainly of this era at least, may have been. And the Morgan tribe certainly had their own fair share of big personalities and conflict and so forth. But it also comes through that Savage is kind of in the early phases of at least attempting to build his little Savage army here. And I like that dichotomy. Am I using that disparity? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick to using words I definitely know uh, quite a bit. I, I think there are two very distinct kind of vibes going on between these two groups, and I like it a lot, and I think it plays really well. Uh, and will continue, by the way, to play really well over the course of the season there. Uh, Dom, I suppose asking this question was an inevitability at some point over the course of this season. So I'll just get it out of the way right now. Do they have Boy Scouts in England or some sort of Boy Scouts equivalent? Hmm. I kind of, yes, but you, I don't think you would recognize it as even Boy Scouts of Jason. And that also has gone the way of the Dodo in recent years, I think. So uh, unless there's kind of like some, private school offshoot of it uh but yeah really nothing in in the same register do they have forests in england or like mountains to climb or like things for oh, boy and, scouts okay. to oh, do? And... <laughs> <laughs> All right. does the terrain have any features or is it just a flat <laughs> desolate wasteland uh yes i suppose is the answer to your question i mean it's just a bunch of stained glass churches all over the place from the westernmost to easternmost points of the island uh Dom, what else from the premiere stood out to you, if anything? Uh, just, it was so fun. There's just so much to talk about. Even some of the, I mean, we skipped over a lot of these small, just like little jokes or character moments, or it's just fun. You know, it, it's a great episode of TV. You you finish it and you wonder where the time went. You, you're, uh, you're already wanting more, which uh, luckily next Thursday on CBS at that stage, I believe. Um, someone fact check me on that if you like but you either right. way i think you come out of that yes you're loving the cast you're loving the theme uh loving the location uh you're just loving the season and you're wanting more and there's really nothing much more you can ask from a a survivor premiere and i hope to get even some fraction of that across the board uh when the survivor 45 premiere kicks off for its uh 90 minute debut here before too long yeah i uh after hearing some sort of recent news about how they intend, at least allegedly intend, to use the extra time with the 90 minutes, I am a little nervous uh, that it will not be as to my liking as the 90 minutes of this Pearl Islands premiere. But I don't listen. I'm not counting any chickens just yet, uh, hoping for the best there. The only other thing is just kind of clear my notes out here. Uh, the only other thing that I had, first of all, I totally agree with you about 
loving this version of Jeff, uh, who it seems like is still very much into being the survivor host. Uh, and I, to his credit, I think he is back to that version, uh, to a, a, a different version of loving being the survivor host, but there certainly was uh, a long stretch in there where he seemed kind of over it for a while. We're, we're still getting like vintage, uh, <laughs> pure Jeff. I would like our present day Jeff to love Survivor a lot less, if possible, yes. please. If he's willing to take one for the team uh, to improve the product for the rest of us, that that would be just swell, if you ask me. Yeah, uh, and then I did notice number one, I I might be wrong about this, but I it, it really seems to me maybe it's maybe it's the four by three aspect ratio that is throwing this off. I swear the parchment they are using, at least at this tribal council, is like noticeably bigger than the parchment that they use in modern time, like boxier than the parchment that they use in modern times. And furthermore, this may also be something that I'm just not registering when I'm watching like more modern seasons. And maybe this still happens. I felt like I had not seen Jeff had to have to pull a vote out of the urn open it up and look at it himself and then flip it upside down because it was the wrong direction before revealing it to the group. He had to do that a couple of times here. And I feel like that's another thing uh, that they've gotten kind of sorted out over the years. Although it is shocking to me that they made it seven seasons in without realizing the correct way uh, to be like turning the parchments in the urn uh, as they're preparing them there. Uh, but uh, one way or another, Dom, Loved this premiere so much. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. Haven't seen any of these episodes in a long, long time. But this was everything I was hoping for it to be. And then some. I feel like Pearl Islands is off to a phenomenal, phenomenal kind of start here for me. Absolutely. And I can't wait to come back in here. Uh, I'm out of town for a little bit, but uh, hopefully we'll be Releasing these episodes at a bit of a faster clip and honestly cannot be more excited to be back in here recording the second one uh, whenever time allows. Absolutely. Uh, and um, oh, a couple other things here. Sorry. Better know an episode title, quote, beg, barter and steal and quote. Don't remember who said it. Don't know if anyone said it, frankly. I'd feel like that kind of speaks for itself. But let's get that uh, on the official record. And then. This is totally unrelated to Pearl Islands, but just before we came on, I saw one of the most like face-melting pieces of Survivor trivia that I have ever seen that I felt like I had to share with you and the audience because this is just like amazing to me that this is the case. I'm not even going to frame this as a question because if I did, all you would have to do would just be like, go through the list of winners one by one and you will eventually get it right. So I'm just going to pose this as a piece of information. This is as it often is courtesy of the legendary at survivor quotes X on Twitter. Dom. I'll just read directly here from the tweet. Cause I still have it uh, on the front of my timeline. And incidentally, Survivor Quotes X may have been about like a decade or so ahead of the game on the Twitter name change now that I'm seeing it uh, with, with the X already ready to go. Here is your insane, in my view, piece of Survivor trivia for the day. Natalie White, Erica, and Marianne. And I'm going to go ahead and discount Erica and Marianne from this because they're in the new era. So I'm going to say Natalie White is the only female winner of survivor from seasons one through 40 who has never played on the same season as boston rob isn't that nuts that's bananas <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things which just given the the interlocking of returning player seasons and just how many seasons rob has been on and just how uh skewed the the winner stats were by gender for a while like it's not the craziest thing in the world but when you lay it out like that it's like Oh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's just such a, a bizarre kind of uh, twist of fate. The the pre-new era, I guess the old era, lasted 20 years. And there was one female winner who never played with Boston Rob. That is wild. Uh, anyway, I believe that is going to do it for me. Anything else you wanted to get to uh, in this premiere episode, Dominic? 
Uh, no, I'm good. I mean, there's so much stuff that we could have talked about, didn't talk about, uh, stuff which I don't know if there's even much to say, but just you watch it and you smile because it's just fun. It helps to liven up the episode. Just just a great, uh, I was going to say hour, uh, hour and change of TV. Uh, and I don't know if the rest of the season, from what I remember, will kind of uh, keep up at that cadence. But i uh, excited to find out before too long. Uh, off to a great start here. Hopefully he keeps up the space. Yeah, I, I believe the runtime without commercials was an hour, five minutes and a little bit of change. And we are actually right now at an hour, five minutes and a little bit of change. And if anyone asks, that was 100 percent on purpose and we nailed it. Uh, Dom, I think that is going to do it. I do think, though, we will have plenty more. Uh, kind of bigger picture stuff that we probably could have gotten to today uh, in future episodes. So if you're hearing this on the patron feed, of course, as always, thank you so much for continuing to support the show. If you're hearing this on the main feed, uh, because we do generally release the premiere episodes on there, by the time you're hearing this on the main feed, I'm going to say at least episodes two and three are currently up over on the patron feed at patreon.com slash Dom and Colin would have, would love, excuse me, to have you join us the rest of the way there. I am a hundred percent with you, Dom. I think this premiere, it it is so much fun. I was my just kind of boiled down takeaway as well. Thrilled to continue along and get to the rest of this, but until next time, I think that is going to do it for us here. Thank you so much. One more time for everyone who has made it this far. We will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody.